you. God bless you, everyone. It's wonderful to be here with you. Thankful to have this opportunity. I'm here, of course, in the great state of West Virginia, the mountain state. Uh, here we say West by God, Virginia, because too many people think that we are part of Virginia still yet. I love it when educated people ask me, they say, oh, I've been to Richmond. I go, but you didn't have eighth grade geometry, did you? Or study the Civil War? Because <laughs> we haven't been a part of Virginia for a long, long time. Well, tonight I want to share a little bit with everyone. I hope to get through this kind of quickly because I'd like to have a brief period of discussion afterward and open the floor up. But we're going to look at biblical fellowship. Uh, you know, Christians like myself, and I'm sure a lot of you, uh, many of us long for some of the kind of relationships and fellowship that we see, especially in the early church in the early days, uh, you know, where even the shadow of Peter uh, going down the street would heal someone. Uh, you know, the, the conditions that brought about that kind of community and fellowship were were unique, but yet I believe they're still available to us today. Um, if we take a look at Acts chapter 2, we'll start there. We're just going to read a few verses, and then I'm going to read some from uh, some commentary. But in Acts 2.41, this is at the end of the day of Pentecost, uh, after the Holy Spirit had been given, it says, then those who received his word were baptized, and in that day there were added to their number about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all those who believed were together and had all things common. And they began selling their property and possessions, and were dividing them among all, as anyone had need. And day after day, continuing with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were receiving their food with great joy and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And day after day, the Lord was adding to them those who were being saved. And that is a summary of the lives of those first early Christians, and, it, and it's very unique. There's specific things that are named here that they had devoted themselves to. And, you know, for too long in my life, I have to say, uh, I devoted myself primarily to only the very first thing listed, which is the apostles' teaching or the apostles' doctrine. Uh, in fact, I was so devoted to it that... Uh, I called my attendance at Bible seminars or my uh, attendance at any kind of gathering or study group or whatever. I referred to it as fellowship. But yet the Apostles' Doctrine and the holding of the Apostles' Doctrine is something separate from fellowship. Fellowship is something completely different. And you could go online and do a word study and there's all kinds of information out there. This word in the Greek is the word koinonia, and uh, it is a. It's interesting because this word only occurs in the New Testament, beginning in the Book of Acts and in the Church Epistles, and then in the Book of First John. 
doesn't appear anywhere else. But I, I thought it's interesting the the commentary on this this word in this verse from the REV commentary, and I'd like to read it to you. It says the Greek word koinonia is like many words; it has a range of meanings and uses. So it's important to pay attention to the context to determine which meaning it has in that particular context. Koinonia refers to a close association involving mutual interests and sharing, a close relationship characterized by involvement and sharing. From the basic definition, it came to refer to the love or goodwill that comes with a close relationship and thus was used of generosity or participation. And it also came to refer to the result of a close association, which is sharing giving, and even used as a gift or contribution. Which, by the way, I want to take a moment to mention that um, Franco and Mark and I had a wonderful time together on the phone the other night. You know, Franco wanted to get together and chat a little bit, and we ended up on the phone for over two hours. And it was just such a good time. But one of the things we were so blessed about was that the efforts of the people who are associated with this ministry of their giving. We were so blessed and so thankful that people continue to contribute and give. And I want to say thank you to everyone, and we appreciate it very much. Because of that, it allows us to do these kinds of things and to offer everything that we currently offer at our online site. Well, Thayer's English lexicon offers another definition of koinonia as simply joint participation, another as intimacy. The Internet Encyclopedia Wikipedia says the essential meaning of the word koinonia embraces concepts conveyed in the English terms community, communion, joint participation, sharing, and intimacy. We, as well as other Christians who've studied the subject, have come up with the useful definition to describe fellowship among Christians as intimate joint participation. The beauty of having a definitive definition of koinonia is that it allows us to tell if we're actually having true fellowship or not. To help us understand intimate in a social context, someone once defined intimacy as in to me see, which is accurate and clear. It's amazing the extent to which we can be with others and never let them see into us. Many people can talk for hours without ever letting the listeners see into them. That may be wise on the street, but it is certainly not how fellowship, koinonia, is supposed to work among Christians. For example, and I want you to listen to this. This is all part of the, the REV commentary. A person may go to a large church and sit in the auditorium and listen to the pastor or teacher. That person may very well be learning valuable things, but that is not fellowship because it is not intimate. There is no sharing of hearts, and it isn't joint participation. It is one-way communication. Listening to a lecture on the television is not fellowship, and sitting and listening to one in an auditorium isn't either. One-way communication is not fellowship. 
Listening to the teachings is important for building like-mindedness, which is necessary to have fellowship, but it is not itself fellowship. Similarly, a person who goes to a church and just chats and makes small talk may be engaging in joint participation, but that is not true fellowship either because there is no full sharing, no intimate joint participation in which people open up their hearts to each other. We all know when we have genuine fellowship with others, that is true intimate joint participation. We let people into our lives and our hearts and are with people who open their hearts and lives to us. And that happens among people who are in close association and we are, we are with people we trust. And you know, one of those people in my life is on with us tonight, Larry Cook. Uh, Larry and I meet on a irregular basis with four other guys and we have breakfast at my home and usually there's no agenda, there's no format, there's no plain, plan of teaching, but we have intimate personal fellowship relationship. We open up to one another, we share our deepest fears, our deepest dreams, our greatest ambitions, we pray for one another. It's true, intimate relationship. And you know what? Those same guys, when when they need something, who do, you, who do you think they go to? That core group of people. And we all need that in our lives. We need someone with skin on. We need someone that we can touch and hold and and embrace something more than just a voice on a screen or at a, behind a pulpit. I'm going to carry on here with the, the commentary. The New Testament has several of the different uses of koinonia. Here in Acts 2.42, koinonia refers to all the aspects of fellowship. There was intimate joint participation among the believers, the love and goodwill that comes with that relationship, and also sharing, giving of gifts, and contributions among the community of believers. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, it says, What fellowship does light have with darkness? Cornelia here primarily refers to the intimate joint participation, which is unavailable in that kind of unbalanced relationship. In Romans 15.26, we see Cornelia used to mean a gift or a contribution which is also its meaning in Hebrews 13, 16. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, koinonia is used to refer to participation as it does in Philippians 1, 5. The basis of true koinonia among Christians is our love and our commitment to him. Keep that in mind. We're going to see that a little bit later. That is the basis of true Christian koinonia. It's our love and our commitment. Beyond that, it's important that we agree on certain basics of faith. If we do not, there's often enough discord to produce lack of trust and no true intimate participation. The epistle of 1 John lays out the relationship between teaching and fellowship. 1 John 1.3 says, That which we have seen and heard we also declare to you, so that you also may have fellowship with us. Notice that John does not think that telling people what we've seen and heard is fellowship, but rather John taught what he had seen and heard so that there could be fellowship. The teaching produced the like-mindedness which was necessary 
for intimate joint participation to occur. Now, folks, that is powerful information. Fellowship is not listening to me teach the Bible. It is not doing research or watching YouTube videos or your favorite preacher. Fellowship is all about relationships with other believers. It's the mutual giving of our lives in honesty and intimacy. Now, it's kind of interesting when you go back and look at Acts chapter 2, the, the key elements that are involved there. You might think of these as almost steps of progression or growth that the church went through. First, they were committed to the apostles' doctrine. Then following that was fellowship. And then following that was breaking of bread, having meals together, then prayer. Then next is godly fear had come upon them. Then there's an attitude of caring and sharing. You know, I personally am opposed to yard sales. I know that may surprise some of you, <laughs> but I, I really am. I, you know, I, I have this conversation with my wife all the time. Look, if we don't need it, Let's give it to someone who does. I mean, do we need that much? Do, do I need another $25 that I can make from putting a bunch of stuff out on a table and, you know, selling it for whatever pennies I can get out of it? You know, my wife, I'll spend the whole day helping her set it up and we get the tables out and they're out on our, on our driveway and all this stuff gets packed out of the house and arranged and price tagged and all that. And, you know, she's out there for two, three, four hours. By midday, sun's beating down. She's tired. Her back hurts. There's been all these people coming by trying to jew her down from $2 to $1.50 on stuff. And so by halfway through the day, you know what she's doing? She takes a, a sack of Walmart bags and she says, here, all you can stuff in a bag for five bucks. <laughs> and they're just going around grabbing up stuff. And I'm going, why are we doing this? Why not just give it away? I get more joy out of giving it away than I do out of selling it and making 20 bucks. So that's just my personal feelings on yard sales. <laughs> the next thing it says, they were standing together with one accord. And that's a great little word to study sometime. Uh, it's a Greek word, homothumidon, and it means one burning passion. They had one like passion. They were recognizing God's blessing. They were thankful. And they were praising God and enjoying favor with others. In other words, they had good neighborhood relations. They got along with people. <laughs> Interesting. Then the Lord added to the church. So my admonition is, I don't think that we can go very far if we want to see the Lord add to the church. I don't think we can go very far if we stop at the first step. If we stop at simply being devoted to the doctrine. All of these other things are very important, and fellowship is one of the key ones. So who's worthy of fellowship? Our richest fellowship will be with like-minded persons who have a genuine concern for our welfare, no question about it. But we can still have some degree of fellowship with those of different opinions than ours. Now, that may sound shocking to you, but it's true. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Think about Jesus and the woman at the well. She was a Samaritan. He was a Jew. They did not associate with one another. 
She had been raised and, and, you know, as part of the 10 tribes, the Northern tribes who had been interspersed with the Babylonian kingdom, they had believed that, you know, worshiping God was to be in this mountain, whereas she said, you know, you Jews worship down there in Jerusalem and so on. But you know what? Jesus interacted with her. He loved her. He prophesied to her. He so changed her life that she turned around, one little woman, and got a whole city fired up to meet Jesus. The next day, they all came out to see Jesus. But yet, if Jesus had had this attitude of, you know, yeah, you know, what is your doctrine, by the way? What do you think about Ezekiel chapter 17? You know, Jesus didn't do any of that. He just loved her right where she was, right? How about when he dined with Simon the Pharisee? Ooh, you know, the Pharisees, they're all, you know, legalistic. Ooh, Jesus had dinner with him. And some great records in God's word like that. How about Aquila and Priscilla with Apollos? If they had been solely doctrinal accuracy must be adhered to, they would have never won Apollos. But what did they do? They loved Apollos. They were there in his fellowship. They were in his town visiting. And you know what? When they heard Apollos and he was wrong on something, didn't make a big deal of it, but they did love him enough to share the truth. And Apollos heard the truth and changed. He only knew the baptism of John. Now he learned about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For too long, I have limited my interest in other people by my misguided belief of preserving right doctrine. And that's sinful, folks. That's sinful. People deserve to be loved. Often I've rejected other Jesus followers because they believed in the Trinity or the dead being alive or that only two were crucified on the cross with Jesus. In fact, my manner of being around Christians for so many years was to be a doctrinal sleuth, to simply discover where we disagreed doctrinally so that I could then nail them with the word. Of course, this rarely, and in fact never, brought about genuine fellowship. If we look at the sermon, Jesus' last sermon that he gave, if you want to call it that, he was having dinner and he was talking, okay? So you can call it a sermon if you want, but it's the Last Supper on the night before his crucifixion. He told his followers, he said, hey, I, hey guys, I've got a new commandment. And that commandment is that you love one another as I have loved you. That's a big order. That's a tall order. Now, what he didn't say is equally astonishing. If we meditate on this a bit and think about it, think about what he didn't say. He did not say, make sure you all agree on every jot and tittle of scripture. That wasn't in his message. He didn't say, only show love to those who believe just like you do. That wasn't in his message. He just said, love like I have loved you. Well, how did Jesus love? He welcomed sinners. He allowed sinners to come around his life and to, to be a part of his life. He listened 
to the outcast and the forgotten. He even healed the child of a pagan Roman soldier. (gasps) Think about that. These were the people who were oppressing them. And yet Jesus went and healed the child. Amazing. See, none of these people, poor, the oppressed, were welcomed in my life a few years ago. All I was interested in was just simply finding people who want to know the right doctrine so I can teach them the right doctrine, and that's all that mattered. See, I was stuck on just the apostles' doctrine. That was what drove my life. I had no concern for fellowship or love. Division is exactly what the devil uses to separate and divide and hurt God's people. You'll remember that in Matthew 12, there's a record where Jesus cast out a demon from a blind and a mute man. The Pharisees there claimed that he had done it through the power of the adversary of Satan. But Jesus went on to say, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And whenever we intentionally divide ourselves from other brothers and sisters in Christ, Whose team are we on? Think about it. He concludes his discussion with these final words in verse 30. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. I then am left with this one question. Am I a part of the scattering crowd, or am I a part of the gathering crowd? Well, what do we do if our close friends believe differently than we do? If we choose to limit our fellowship to be only with those who have 100% agreement with us doctrinally, then we severely limit the Lord's ability to help us grow. I have learned some wonderful lessons from preachers who are Trinitarians. Derek Prince, I knew nothing about casting out demons until I started following and listening to some of the teachings of Derek Prince. And you know what? Shortly thereafter, God opened the door. I was able to minister to a couple who were severely plagued with demons and get deliverance in their lives. But I would have never learned that because I hadn't learned it in my past. I would have never learned it if I hadn't, if I had had this limitation on who I will listen to and who I will have uh, an association with or, or hear their teachings. How about Vody Bauckham? Do any of you know Vody Bauckham? If you don't, you ought to check him out. He's a fellow, he's a pastor down in Texas, bold as a lion, and he is standing against the cultural rot that is destroying our nation. Great man of God. Um, how about Tim Mackey? Tim Mackey is the heads up a program called The Bible Project in Portland, Oregon. Wonderful, wonderful teacher of God's word. Incredibly intelligent fellow. I have learned to grow in my compassion and love for people through my friendship with some of these folks. My best friend 12, 14 years ago uh, that I became extremely close with was a Southern Baptist pastor who was a Trinitarian. But you know what? He and I connected in such a way because of our love for Christ that we were able to bring together the entire ministerial association 
of the town where we live, which had disbanded years before. The pastors and ministers weren't even talking to each other anymore because everybody's protecting territory, right? You know, nobody wants to give up their territory. And we brought them all together. We started having community prayer walks. We started going into the this, the parts of town that were impoverished with uh, drug-infested areas and praying over these homes and going in and helping people fix their homes, the poor. And it was wonderful. And we had great fellowship. But you see, our selfish culture tends to teach us to go the other direction. In years past, before there was television or the Internet or smartphones, uh, people used to gather with their neighbors. I bet Carolyn can remember some of these times. I do. And people would get together with their neighbors, and a lot of times it would be on the front porch or for a potluck dinner or that sort of thing for just food and friendship. But in our common features, even even in the even in the 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 mid twentieth century, one of the common features of a home was a front porch. Do you know what's the dominant architectural feature of homes today in this era? If you go and start looking, you know what people look for the most: the master bathroom. Can you get any more private? Can you get any more separated from people than to spend your time in the lavishness of your private bathroom spa? You know, see how far culture has pulled us away from community, away from reaching out to people, you know, to where we just get further and further withdrawn into ourselves. Instead of going to see someone, we used to call them, okay? But now we text. Why call? You can text. Instead of inviting friends over to see our newest home project, we just post it online. Just put a few pictures out there on Facebook, right? No need to have people coming over. Nah, we don't want that. Instead of telling someone we love them, we just put a heart emoji out there. Think about it. Do you see how these are things that in our culture and our behavior, just keep separating us further and further away from true, intimate, spiritual relationship with others. Virtually everything about our 21st century is trending towards separation and isolation. And I, for one, think it's time that we Christians reverse that. You know, why not invite a neighbor from down the street that you've seen for 20 years, you've driven by their home, you've thrown up your hand, why not invite them? Come over to your house and, hey, come have a burger with us this weekend. Or come and uh, come up and, and, and let's uh, have a cup of coffee. You know, you don't have to teach them the whole Bible, but you know what? Loving them might get them started in the right direction. Just showing that you care, showing that you're interested. You know, fellowship is built from relationship. You know, the Apostle Paul faced similar issues to this when he, in, in Philippians chapter 1, about the divisions that existed between different Christian leaders and Christian groups. And I think it's really worth reading. Let, let's take a look at it. Philippians chapter 1, 
and I'll pick it up in verse 12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the things that happened to me have actually served to advance the good news. As a result of those things, my imprisonment for preaching Christ has become well known throughout the whole Imperial Guard and to everyone else. Also, most of our brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord because of my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ from envy and rivalry, but some from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the good news. But the others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not with pure motives, thinking to cause trouble for me in my imprisonment. So he's describing here two different groups and how they present the word of God. One is out of love, other out of selfish ambition. And what does he say? Well, what really matters? Verse 18, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayer and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will result in my deliverance. Today, we have brothers and sisters, people that we've known for many years who hold differing beliefs than we hold. Some about the permanence of salvation, some about the timing of the return of Christ, some about the kingdom of heaven, whether it's here now or whether it's yet to come. How should we think and behave toward them? Should we excommunicate them from our lives? Should we challenge them to a scriptural duel? You know, how about we just love them like Jesus and be thankful that whatever their motive or their particular pet doctrine at the end, and in the end, it's all about Christ. And as long as Christ is being proclaimed, I can rejoice. Amen. Well, I thank you all for taking the time to join us this evening and sit in and listen. And uh, like I said, I, uh, Franco and I and Mark are truly thankful for your support, your prayers especially, uh, and your giving. I guess that if I had to sum up where my heart is these days it flows in line with what I shared tonight is that I think Christian living is far more important than Christian knowing. I want to be a person who lives like Christ, not someone who can just tell you all the nuances about Christ. And that's where I find my greatest joy and greatest fulfillment. And I love you all and thank you. And it's been a joy being with you this evening. So I'll pray and we'll call it an evening, okay? So Heavenly Father, thank you for the time that we've had here together online, even though we're miles and miles apart in our hearts, we're united to you and we are seeking you in our prayers. We reach out on behalf of one another and ask for your blessing upon each other. And Lord, I ask that there's just one 
one phrase, one sentence, one word that may have touched someone's heart that they can grab a hold of it and ponder and think upon it and meditate that you can bring to light some need that can be dealt with in their life, some area of their life that can be healed and some area where they may find greater courage to walk out in boldness that you have given us. So thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us, all you are doing and all that you will do in the hope of your return. In Jesus' name, amen.